0: Hey, guys. It's Q&A Tuesday. Let's dive right into it. Question from a gentleman by the name of Edward Ledin. Hello, Roman. Love your videos and the work you put into them. Thank you. It is indeed a lot of work to do this, by the way. Uh, do you think Richard Mille Turbions are worth six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars or are they just simply a gimmick for the ultra-rich to enjoy? And do you think there's a value in similar watches like the JLC Anbox Three ceramic case turbion with dual-time function? You first have to define ultra rich. Is ultra rich somebody that's worth a million dollars, ten million dollars, or a billion dollars? I mean, for somebody to buy an eight hundred thousand dollar watch, this is his last eight hundred thousand dollars. He's probably an idiot. In my personal opinion: unless you're worth at least twenty million dollars, you have no business of putting a six, seven hundred thousand dollar watch on your wrist. Two, it can actually be both. It can be a gimmick for the ultra rich because, face it, twenty million dollars you are ultra rich. And considering the Richard Mille is like the hottest thing out right now between quote unquote the ultra rich because you know their entry level model watches they start at grand. An average Joe watch collector is not going to be able to buy one of those, especially considering the fact that the tourbillon that you mentioned from Jaeger trades way under $100,000. Somebody that has a lot of money, doesn't know what to do with it, will buy themselves that watch as a toy indeed for the ultra-rich. Same as a guy who's worth millions of dollars can buy himself a Bugatti, or an expensive Lamborghini, or or a Ferrari. However, there's a type of guys that buy it again for the show effect, the fact that they got you money and they just throw around and they buy whatever is hot and whatever they see in the magazine or whatever they see the other ultra-rich friends wearing or there's other guys that will spend that kind of money with the appreciation of the work that goes into these pieces a lot of people think that Richard Miller is overpriced and indeed he is a bit overpriced I'm not going to argue with it but he does justify his watchmaking if you look at some of his tourbillons I'm not going to get into the complications of all of them perhaps I'll do a what on my desk on that but if you literally just go on his website and you read about some of his high complicated pieces what the watch is actually do, what kind of innovation goes in them, what kind of a process they go through when they're actually making those watches, how long it takes. You may understand why he's charging such a high ticket price for those. Remember, Richard Miller is not spitting out even a 100 of these eight, $700,000 watches a year. He's maybe making 20 pieces a year that are in that price range. And the reason for that is because they're highly complex. He wants to make them highly exclusive. So therefore, odds are, if you buy one of these super exclusive pieces, you'll be hard-pressed to find another person in the room, anywhere in the world, where. The same exact watch, and that's what makes them so exclusive. At the end of the day, as they say, it's all relative. If you're someone that's worth $300 million, and let's say you're a gambler, and you go into the casino, you're not going to go to the $25 blackjack table or a $5 blackjack table. You're going to go into the high rollers room, and you're going to bet $500 to $1,000 a hand. If you're someone that only has $100,000 in the bank, and you're a gambler, you're going to go to the blackjack tables. You're not going to see yourself in the high rollers room betting $5,000 a hand. You're going to bet $25 a hand. And result is the same if you think about it. The excitement of gambling for those that like to gamble is going to be the same for the guy playing at $25 table and the same guy that's playing at the $5,000 hand table. The result is exactly the same, but the guy that plays in the high rollers room betting $5,000 a hand will not have as much excitement at the $10 or $25 table. It's all relative to the amount of money that you're worth and how much you're willing to part with in order to buy yourself an expensive toy that you're going to cherish, enjoy, and wear. Hope that helps. Here's a good question from a gentleman whose question I've answered before. Hello, Kuba. How are you? Thank you for all your questions. I actually really, really dig them. Kuba Carters asks, again, your thoughts on brands like Bamford or T-Black —by T-Black, I'm assuming you mean Titan Black, or Titan Blackout, they call them, I think — and other watch customizers. Do you see any of their pieces ever becoming thought after in the market? Ah, that's a tough one, I'll be honest with you, because, uh, well, for one, Bamford no longer is owned by Bamford. Bamford got bought out. Uh, Bamford uh, was the first quote-unquote official customizer of Rolex, where they took Rolex pieces, they PVD'd them, they were the pioneer in uh, in the industry, they put the word Bamford on it. I think Rolex sued them for a while, and they won that battle, because, again, all they were doing is customizing watches, and they were charging an arm and a leg for their pieces. So, for example, I think if a stainless steel sub at the time was trading, let's say, around $8,500, theirs was, like, something like $22,000. Again, part of the reason was because they were in England, and so on and so forth, but nevertheless, they triple marked up their pieces by simply taking a watch, PVD, and putting the word Bamford on it. All limited, uh, sometimes 50 pieces, sometimes 20 pieces, sometimes 100 pieces. And what these guys did really, really well is not discount these pieces to anyone. And the reason for that is because it was sold in a Bamford watch department in London. They didn't have any other, quote-unquote, authorized deals that they gave these pieces to, not giving them a chance to discount. So, if somebody that wanted a Bamford Rolex or a PVD Rolex, which is a fairly new thing back then, they had to go to Bamford and they would pay a hefty price tag. On the resale end, they even resold well because there were so few of them from Bamford and they were, quote-unquote, the authority on PVD watches people bought them and they resold well because the only other option you had is to go into Bamford and, you know, buy a new one where pre-owned one you can get a few bucks cheaper. Titan Blackout was sort of a Bamford wannabe along with a slew of other companies. I can't remember off the top of my head but there's a, a, at least another three or four companies out there that try to do what Bamford does and they were not as successful and their resale value always tanked. What do I think about customizing watches in general? Well, I spoke about iced-out watches or busted-out watches or watches that have aftermarket diamonds on them. I like the way they look. It's not something I do or something that I sell, not somebody— I'm a fan of original diamonds on a watch, and simply being is because that's how the manufacturer meant for the watch to be, whether it has diamonds or not. But at the same token, Bamford pieces look cool as and sort of tighten blackout pieces. Case in point, let's look at cars. How many people out there go out and buy fancy car, let's say a Mercedes? I myself did this. I took a Mercedes and I took its original wheels and I had them coated in black. I also had all the numbers on the car wrapped in black, as well as the logos and so on and so forth, tinted the windows black. I have a matte gray finished car with black wheels. All the trimmings were wrapped in black. It's not what the manufacturer meant for the car to be, but to me, it looks good. I customize my car the way I see fit, and this is something that I like and I enjoy. So, when I look at my car, I like it. Same thing goes for these watches. Again, really nothing wrong with one of those pieces. I like the way they look. Would I wear one? Absolutely. Do I recommend you buy one? Again, buy what you like. It is what it is. Next question comes from a gentleman by the name of Michael Carter. Great channel. I'm really enjoying your insight into the industry. Thank you very much. Uh, what would you recommend as a beginner AP for a person with a small to medium-sized wrist? If size is your concern and you have a small to medium-sized wrist, you can still pull off the Royal Oak 15400, for example, which is their entry-level watch, or even the chronograph if you want to jump up a little bit in stainless steel. Yes, those are 41 millimeters, but it still look okay on a small to medium-sized wrist. If you have a really small wrist, they will look big on your wrist. If part of the concern is how much money you're going to spend, you're going to be paying a hefty premium just to get your hands on one of those pieces. 15400 and blue forget about it you're paying two three grand over list so with the fact that you have a small to medium wrist the best buy out there for you to start out with an AP piece to look into a pre-owned royal oak krona the older version in 39 millimeters in stainless steel on the braces a you're going to pick that up for cheaper than a 15 400 will cost you and it's a chronograph better value for the money and it'll be a better fit on your wrist if you guys remember some of my other episodes i wear diamond royal oak that's a 39-millimeter I wear on a rubber strap, and that's probably the perfect fit for me with a small to medium-sized wrist. hope that answers your question. Next question comes from a gentleman by the name of Jet Black. Thank you for another informative video. Thank you very much. In your opinion, which perpetual past 15 years give the best or the most bank per buck, JLC, AP, Quantime, or Patek 3940, which costs two to three times more? Nowadays, if you pick any of the major big guys that have been around forever, including JC, including AP, including Paddock, they all know what they're doing when it comes to a perpetual calendar. You're gonna get an equally as good a value in terms of the quality of the watch and the quality of the movement of that of a perpetual calendar from any one of those guys. But you use the word value, and there's always gonna be value in the brand that's generally cheaper and follow what I'm saying. I said, generally cheaper. So, I'm not just referring to perpetual calendars. I'm not just referring to chronographs, or and so on, and so forth. And guess what? JLC is a brand that's been around forever. It's got just as big a history as any of these other guys, the guys that came out with the Reverso. They have all the history in the world they are a slightly cheaper brand. And the best way to really gauge that is you really look at the brands go right online and you can just look at retail prices. Look at their plain Jane watches, see what their plain watches are retailing for, see what their chronographs are retailing for versus some of the other guys. Out of the three that you mentioned, AP and Patek are more on the expensive side, but Patek probably taking the cake of being the most expensive when it comes to Perpetual. So ask yourself a question and what are you looking for in terms of value? Are you looking for the actual movement? How good the movement is going to be? You can pick any one of them. If you looking in terms of monies, go with the brand like JLC, because JLC is generally going to be a lot less expensive. Plus, don't forget, popularity, in terms of discount and so on and so forth. If you're looking on the secondary market, and I assume you are, because you asked me about the Patek 3940. That was discontinued probably about uh, 10 years ago at this point. You can pick those up relatively inexpensive. So, if you're looking for the name, quote-unquote, and a lot of people tend to go with Patek Philippe as the name, because Patek Philippe is the Rolls Royce of all watches, so they say. I don't really share that opinion. But if you're looking to go with a Patek Philippe to have a Patek Philippe on your hand, a 3940 is actually a great choice. It's a watch that was hot for a while when, prior, I think, to 2008, when everything crashed, 3940s were trading upwards of $70,000, $80,000, where today you can pick it up around thirty, sometimes even under on the secondary market. So, if you're looking to put a big brand name on your wrist, go with for some of the older perpetual calendars from Patek. In terms of quality, Patek, GLC, or AP, are all going to be in that same realm in terms of quality of the movement and I hate to repeat myself. Another good deal for you to pick up is some of the older AP Perpetual Royal Oaks, the non-skeletons. A uh, Royal Oak uh, yellow gold skeleton, an older model, like a D-serial or uh, an E-serial, which will date back more than 10 years, you can pick those things up under $30,000, which is also a great value. Last but not least, which am I going to pick out of the three? You guessed that I'm going to pick AP because, again, I'm biased. It's my favorite brand. Hope that helps, Jack. Next question is from a gentleman by the name of Russ Zhang. Once again, I've answered this question before. Love your videos, thank you, Russ. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Hublot Big Bang Sapphire and its future value? Hmm you actually kind of hit the nail on the head with the Big Bang Sapphire, and I'll tell you why. It happens to be my absolute favorite Hublot out there, and particularly, like, the very first version, which was all white. They later came out with another one where the dial was black, and the the case was sapphire, then they did the blue one, and the red one, and many other variations. Now they have the Turbion, which is pretty ridiculous looking too, but it's expensive. Did they jump on a bandwagon that of Richard Mille like everyone else did when Richard Mille did the crystal Turbion? Absolutely, they did. They did it. Uh, Bell & Ross did it, uh, Grubel Forze did it, they all did it, they all jumped on a bandwagon because it was a great idea. And guess what? In the watch industry, everybody more or less copies off of each other. How many watches are out there that you hold side-by-side from different brands that look pretty much identical. Who came up with the idea first? Who knows? Only they know. But nevertheless, the Big Bang Hublot Sapphire in 44mm is my absolute favorite watch from Hublot. Why? Because I love the way this watch looks. It is the most ridiculous watch. I wish I had one here to show you. I don't. But, That's a watch that I'm actually on the lookout for as one of those quote-unquote keepers. I told you guys before, I don't keep any of my watches. Everything is for sale. There's really no point I can put on a different watch every single day. But the Hublot Big Bang Sapphire is something that I absolutely love. So, if you ask me, do I recommend buying one of those pieces? Absolutely, I do. Now, outside the fact that the entire case is made out of crystal, which is the same material the crystal of the watch is made, Really, the only thing, again, is special about it is the fact that it just looks kick-ass. It looks good on the wrist. It has the interchangeable straps. Some of the other Hublots, where you press the button, the strap comes off. Um, as far as resale value, they really didn't make many of them you know, in, in the very variation that they made. So, in terms of resale value, I think that this is the one watch that's going to hold its value better than the other Hublots. And as I said, I'm going to pick one up as soon as I find a deal on the pre one, and most likely I will not sell it for a while. It's something I'm going to wear. Again, happens to be my absolute favorite Hublot from the regular Hublot lineup, not calculating any of the complications that they make now. Of course, if I wanted to go really kick-ass, I would go with the Crystal Hublot LaFerrari, but that's a little bit pricey, too, tote around on your wrist, and it's a bit bulky, just the same. hope that answers your question. And last but not least, it's a really good question from a gentleman by the name of James Walker. Do you think Instagram has played a role in this? seems like people just buy unoriginal, well-known, expensive sh— so they can show off on IG. If it isn't recognizable to the masses, buyers have no interest. You're absolutely right for about 10 to 15% of the watch buyers out there. Those that have money to throw around, they have nothing better to do, they look at Instagram or other social media, and they're absolutely influenced by it. My own Instagram account, if you guys don't follow me, I have 40-some thousand followers. You have no idea how many times I take a snapshot of something on my wrist, and five minutes later, I get 15 DMs, 15 phone calls on WhatsApp saying, oh, I like this watch, I like the way it looks, I want one too. Social media overall, not just Instagram, has a huge, huge, huge impact on any industry out there today. If you want to be successful today, In an online community, the key word is not Instagram. The key word is actually content, 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 content. The most stuff you put out there, regardless of what social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, etc. If you get that information out there, you get it in front of the masses, you are going to sway somebody into eventually purchasing something. So, yes, you are correct. Instagram does have a huge influence on people buying stuff. Now, is there a lot of guys that go out there and specifically buy just to show it off on Instagram, to post something new, to post something fresh in front of an audience that don't even know? Absolutely. There are plenty of guys out there like that. There's guys—I'm not going to mention any names, but there's guys out there that will change outfits every single day, different watches, different bracelets, and so on and so forth, just to get that new hot Instagram pic on there. And often, they end up trading their watches back and forth because they don't want to be seen with the same exact watch on the next Instagram shot or the same pair of sneakers or even the same car sometimes. But, hey, that's the world that we live in right now. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. I was talking to my 15-year-old son. You know, he's at that age where, you know, I talked to him about not the birds and the bees, that's old-school, but I talk to him about girls. And I say, hey, what's going on out there? Let me ask you a question. This is just the other day. I said, if you're going to approach a girl today, like, what do you do? Like, back in the day when, you know, when I was your age, I would approach the girl in school. I would talk to her and so on and so forth. Uh, he's like, we don't do that now. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't— if you like somebody, you don't walk up to them and talk to them? He's like, no. I like, so what do you do? He's like, oh, I'll send her a Snapchat or something or, or a DM on Instagram. I'm like, really? That seems a little bit impersonal. He's like, Dad, you're a little old-fashioned. This is how it's done nowadays." And this is exactly what's happening with not just the watch industry, but every other industry. Everything is online. Everything is in your face. There's people out there trying to impress people they don't even know on a social media platform, and sometimes they do it by spending an enormous amount of money, which they have and sometimes don't even have to spend. As sad as that sounds, it is true. So, hopefully, that gives you a little insight on my opinion on that. Well, guys, that's it for me today. Uh, Last but not least, I'm going to show you what's on my wrist. And today, I'm wearing the Santos 100 in PVD. Now, a bit of a break from the norm for me. I'm usually wearing APs and other clunky watches. Well, for one, this is a clunky watch. The Santos 100 is a very clunky watch in comparison to some of his predecessors, which were tiny. But why am I wearing this particular watch? Yeah, you guys know I love history. And you know what? The history of Cartier Santos is just as special as the watch itself. Uh, Luis Cartier, grandson to the founder of Cartier Company, he developed the Santos in 1904, more than 100 years ago, and it was inspired by the Brazilian aviator Alberto Santos Dumont, I guess was the guy's name, whose name is represented on both Cartier Santos and the Cartier Santos Dumont. Anytime I get a chance to wear a little bit of history on my hand, I always will. This watch is also made out of titanium. It's PVD coated, which is, I like the way it actually physically looks, aesthetically. It's also relatively inexpensive to the watches I normally wear. That's it for me today, guys. Thank you once again for tuning in. Uh, Thank you for all your questions. Please keep those questions coming. They make these videos possible. If it's not for your questions, I really don't have anything to talk about. Well, I shouldn't say that. I always have something to talk about. But do keep the questions coming, and I'll see you guys next Tuesday.